Please open your Bibles to 1 John. In the uh, Red Pubeck Bibles, 1 John chapter 1 can be found on page 1021. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. This is the message we had heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Good morning. God has created and sustained us. God has allowed us to live, to, to breathe, to think, and to speak. God has given us his word, allowing us to learn about and grow closer to him. God has given, up, has given us his son that we may be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with him. And yet, despite all of those blessings, we so frequently need reminders of who he is and what he has done for us. Remembrance of God's character and his nature motivates godly living, builds fellowship among us as his children, and gives us joyful expectation of his son's return. God is neither a moral monster nor a vindictive bully. He is our loving father and our greatest friend. The book of 1 John gives us several reminders about God's character and nature. At the same time, it reminds us of God's relationship with us. The Christian has much to be thankful for, and 1 John helps us to be cognizant of our blessings. I would like for us to spend just a few moments considering its first chapter, 1 John chapter 1, as we reflect upon the fact that God is light. God is light. That's our sermon for today. God is light. Per the first chapter of 1 John, we learn five things about God's relationship with mankind. Five things about God's relationship with mankind, and here's what they are. First, that God made himself visible for us. Second, that God wants fellowship with us. Third, God disdains, he hates hypocrisy in us. Four, that he desires righteousness in us. And five, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. First, appreciate the fact that God made himself visible for us. Let's start in verse one together. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John writes that the word of life was from the beginning, stating that this word of life is what he and others heard makes it sound impersonal as though this refers only to the verbal message of the gospel. However, note what he goes on to say. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. These phrases clearly refer to a person who was seen and felt. It follows that this refers to Jesus himself. Refer back to the words of Peter in Acts chapter 1 verses 21 through 22, as the apostles are prayerfully and scripturally considering Judas' replacement. Therefore, of the men who traveled with us during all that time in which the Lord Jesus was associated with us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day in which he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness of his resurrection with us. 
To say that this word of life had pre-existed is one thing, but to say that John, along with others, had heard, seen, and touched him specifies that this must be referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, having been testified about by his apostles. John certainly is no stranger to referring to Jesus Christ as the word, per John 1 and verse 1, but here we see that this phrase, the word of life, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, refers to the same individual. Jesus is both the message and giver of the message. He himself is the gospel. Look at 1 John 1 verse 2. And the life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and revealed to us. Jesus Christ was revealed to mankind, and he traveled with, taught, and gave authority to the apostles to carry on his message. This is why John is able to say that they have seen and testify and proclaim to us the eternal life which was with the Father and revealed to them. Be certain that these are claims that only the apostles could make. These are claims that only the apostles could so authoritatively and clearly make. But recognize also that God willed to be seen by mankind in Jesus. Though he is hidden to human sight, through Jesus he is made manifest to us. As the Christ said to Philip in John chapter 10, he who has seen me, or forgive me, John chapter 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Though the Son and the Father are distinct, we do indeed, as John 10 and verse 30 shows us, serve one God, as Jesus and the Father are one. In the gospel accounts, we see Jesus living as a man, though fully God, being among the common people, Though we ourselves in the 21st century, I believe, have neither seen him nor heard him, we read of those who saw him and heard him. John wants us to see, first of all, in these first two verses of his letter, that God made himself visible for us. Second, observe that God wants fellowship with us. God wants fellowship with us. See verses 3 and 4. What we have seen and have heard... We proclaim also to you, in order that you also might have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is also with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And this we write to you, that our joy may be complete. John reaffirms that they, the apostles, have seen and heard Jesus and now proclaim him to fellow Christians. For what purpose? That those fellow Christians also might have fellowship with them. Yet, understand that the apostles' fellowship is not merely with those first century Christians. It is not merely with us. The fellowship we have is predicated upon fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, per verse 3. Human relationships in Christ matter here, exponentially. But note that relationship with God is the overarching emphasis here. Fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit, whose Son, who John later discusses in this book, is our highest fellowship. Verse 4 shows the mutual joy that is possible through this fellowship. There would be joy on the part of the apostles, teaching and having fellowship with this group of first century Christians. There would likewise be joy on the part of the readers of this letter, as they are instructed and likewise have fellowship with the apostles. For us, I believe the connection, the application is clear. Fellowship with God allows us to have fellowship with each other. 
Note ultimately that our God does not want spiritual distance from his creation. He certainly does not want spiritual distance from his church. He wants fellowship with us. He wants fellowship with his children. Next, John writes that God disdains hypocrisy in us. He hates hypocrisy in us. When we claim to live one way while actually living in a completely different, diametrically opposed way. Look at verse 5 to see why this might be the case. And this is the message we have, which we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Before we proceed, we need to appreciate that God himself is light. In John's writing, light is not simply intrinsic to God, but is itself spiritually indicative of God. Speaking of himself, Jesus said to Nicodemus that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light for their works were evil. For everyone who does bad things hates the light and does not come to the light that their deeds might not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light that it might be known that their deeds have been performed in God. John chapter three, verses 19 through 21. That is far from the only passage that speaks to this concept. But it is evident that the light is a way of encompassing all that is good and the darkness what is evil. God himself is light and John makes emphatically clear that in him is no darkness at all whatsoever. He does no evil and he by his very nature is not evil in any way. In him is absolutely no darkness whatsoever. It is for this reason, per 1 John 1 and verse 6, that if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Since there is no darkness in God, we ourselves, as God's children, cannot walk in the very thing God himself does not possess. God himself is not evil, so how can we, in right mind and conscience, walk in evil? Our God who does no evil disdains the heart that claims to walk with him and yet walks in evil. In other words, it just doesn't make sense. Our God disdains hypocrisy in us. And in contrast to that, John transitions next to the fact that God desires righteousness in us. God desires righteousness in us as his children. Look at verse seven. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, walking both in him and what he himself dwells in, we have community with each other and cleansing in Jesus Christ. Note again that this is indeed a condition, however, predicated upon our walking in the light. If we keep our end of that condition, John states that these are our blessings as God himself dwells in unapproachable life, per 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16, we are to walk in the light. But recognize again that the benefits of walking in the light are inseparably twofold. We have fellowship with each other and cleansing from Christ. We cannot claim to have one while ignoring the other one. This passage is sometimes thought of as only a reminder of one's personal relationship with God. But that interpretation neglects John's additional point that we are meant to be together that our fellowship is not only with God but with fellow children of God do not ignore that 
We are Christ assembly, Christ church, Christ family, and we are not to treat that lightly, neither to him or to, or to each other. The kept condition of walking in the light allows for and necessitates both our fellowship with Christ and in his cleansing and our fellowship with one another. But also be aware of the fact that there is no idea of sinless perfection to be read here. 1 John 1 and verse 7 itself says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Would, there be, would that be necessary if there is no sin to cleanse? This verse clearly communicates that, all, that, that sin will unfortunately happen in the Christian's life. It is both possible and inevitable for the Christian to sin, and it is foolish to think otherwise. We are to humbly accept that while still recognizing God's expectations for moral living. See verse 8 in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We cannot both believe in a Savior who cleanses us and yet claim we do not need his cleansing. It is the height of arrogance to say that we have no sin and we lie to ourselves in doing so, walking contrary to the truth, the truth itself not being in us. However, we are to live holy and righteous lives, living in the light as he is in the light. God desires righteousness in us. Finally this morning, thoughtfully consider that God is faithful and just to forgive us. God is faithful and just to forgive us. We read in verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our admission of wrongdoing allows us to be forgiven for our transgressions. But we should know that that is not all there is to it. Does the verse only say that if we confess, he will forgive us? It does not. This is not merely contingent upon our confession, but, a God, but upon God's character. He is faithful and just, verse 9 says. We must never believe when we sin and confess that we are forgiven solely due to our humble admission of wrong, supposing that we have displayed enough of a pious character to deserve forgiveness in our confession. That just isn't right. We are forgiven because God is faithful and just to do so. That is the reason. If our view of forgiveness is self-centered and not God-centered, well, our view of forgiveness is both incomplete and unappreciative. The fact of the matter is that we are not good enough and we are not of ourselves worthy of forgiveness. We sin and we are to face that. John himself says as such in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The point here is similar to that of verse 8 and it is profound. In verse 8, we make ourselves liars devoid of the truth when we say we are without sin. But here in verse 10, we make God a liar. The God who has said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The God who never lies, Titus 1 and verse 2. We are accusing him of being a liar. Or rather, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. We as Christians must face the reality that we are not of ourselves good enough. 
We must also face the reality, though, that God is good enough. He himself is faithful and just, trustworthy and righteous to forgive us of our sins. Furthermore, we are told that he can and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not some, but all. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful savior. Let us be thankful to him. And let's remember that this is all about God's character. Though we are to reflect and obey him, God is faithful and just to forgive us when we fall short. As we go throughout this week, remember, first and foremost, that God is light. In him is no darkness, no fraudulence, no evil. He is perfect in all ways, sufficient in himself. And he has gifted us with his son, through whom he made himself visible for us. Know also that this same God wants fellowship with us, but that he disdains hypocrisy in us. Remember that too. And know that though he desires righteousness in us, and he has the full right to desire such from his children, don't think that's wrong of him to desire that. He is faithful and just to forgive us if and when we fail. We serve a wonderful, faithful God. And per his character, we ought to treat him with the reverence that he deserves in our daily lives. May we reverence him in our lives day in and day out by living in accordance with his commands and by the word of Jesus. Given that these words are written to Christians, of course, it follows that those who have neither repented of their sins nor been baptized for their forgiveness have no such fellowship with him. No matter what you've done or where you've been, you can trust that God is faithful and just to forgive you through Jesus. Believe in him and confess him. Repent of your sins and be washed in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Come so that you can have fellowship with Jesus and his church. Come so that you can have fellowship with us. And if you need that or you have any other need, won't you come now as together we stand and sing?